Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I am your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. During the course of this podcast, we have spoken with a number of experts over time in the fields of self-care, mental health, addiction, and recovery. We are now picking up again on that discussion and adding another dimension to it by discussing brain health and its importance in the context of leadership. It promises to be a terrific discussion. It is my pleasure to welcome Dave Kenny to have this conversation with me. Dave is the co-founder and executive director at Emergo Recovery, a private residential recovery and wellness center focused on a brain-first approach specializing in actualized recovery. Dave has dedicated his extensive career to helping individuals reclaim their life after struggles with addictions, anxiety, depression, and other debilitating challenges. With over 30 years of experience in the field of human development, Dave pioneered Actualized Recovery, an integrative brain-first approach to lasting recovery. This proprietary methodology focuses on optimizing neurological function while integrating biological, psychological, spiritual, social, and lifestyle changes to create lasting recovery and well-being. Dave is a PhD candidate in philosophy at Canterbury University, focusing on neuroscience and psychology, and holds a master's degree in education from Northwestern State University. He is also a certified brain health coach through Amen Clinics, a master's certified brainwave optimization technician, a certified life coach, and has certification in self-management for addiction recovery and as a recovery coach. Additionally, Dave is a member of both the Canadian Society of Addiction Medicine and the American Society of Addiction Medicine. You can connect with Dave on LinkedIn to learn more about Emergo Recovery. Please visit EmergoRecovery.com. It is my pleasure to welcome Dave Kenny to the show. Tina, it's a pleasure to be here. So Dave, just to set the stage for our conversation today, can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do for a living? Yeah, it'd be a great place to start. Thanks. I would say that I've been in the field of human development for over 30 years. I've got a bachelor's and a master's of ed and been in the world of education for a number of years and as well as the coaching profession. But the last 10 years, I've been working and running a private residential recovery and wellness program. And we approach that in a very unique way by using the brain and neuroscience to help people feel better. So anyway, I've, I've been playing around in the world of human development, helping people kind of optimize their lives. So how did you get on that path? And can you tell us a little bit more about the framework within which you work with people? Yeah, it actually didn't even dawn on me until about a year ago. I think my father's influence, he was an educator, a wonderful international educator. And uh, I guess that I followed more of his footsteps than I wanted to believe when I was a young adult. And it is about helping people and helping people thrive. But about 12 years ago, I was working in the field of education in private schools, and I was a little 
disenfranchised and just struggling because teachers didn't want some kids to return because they had ADHD and dyslexia and learning auditory challenges and struggling in the classroom. And the teachers go, well, I don't, we don't want these bottom 20% to come back. We just go get us new kids. And I didn't like that idea. And the other thing is behaviorally, we were losing kids because it was a one strike school somewhere, you know, goodness gracious, a 15, 16 year old was making a mistake on a weekend and behaviorally smoking weed or drinking and the school would kick them out. And before I knew anything about neuroplasticity, I said, why can't we fix a brain? Because to me, all of this is brain related. And just hypothetically, I said, if we could help a kid change the brain, wouldn't that change all of this? And lo and behold, I started traveling for the school that spring 12 years ago and ran into a, uh, by the way, Tina, when I'm on the road, this is how excited I am. I'm watching PBS at night in my hotel room. <laughs> going, You're living the crazy. life, Dave. <laughs> That's it. And I stumbled into a show called uh, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life by Dr. Daniel Amen. And Dr. Amen is a leading neuropsychiatrist. I never knew of such a thing, but if you want to we could spend a whole show, but we won't, unpacking just that title. If you change your brain, you change your life. I couldn't believe it. And uh, so that curiosity turned into a, a passion, which is now a vocation for me. It's my way of life. And I'm currently in my PhD studying neuroscience and psychology. Wow. So that's pretty intense. So how has that been for you, those, those studies? I actually work with <laughs> someone who's a PhD in neuroscience. The hardest part is just time because the learning part is, is you know, when you, when you find your purpose in life, that's the exciting part. And, uh, you know, I've never thought I'd be reading this kind of deep academic work and creating, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of the dissertation or, or thesis. My school is Canterbury University in the UK, a wonderful brick and mortar university. And so it's a legitimate program of study and the classroom stuff is finished. And now I've got two years to put my uh, uh, thesis and dissertation together. So what is your topic? Do you, I, I would imagine you at least have that underway at this point. <laughs> yeah, there's a question that seems to keep evolving, but in short, the, the, it's the principle that the connection between the brain, and I'm not talking mental health, I'm talking the organ, the brain and addictions and recovery and moving forward because that that's something that is really new in in the world overall including in leadership and in, in self-development in recovery and in wellness in general but, but fundamentally uh, let's go back to change your brain change your life so how does that apply and what new science is out there to support that that's pretty amazing and you're absolutely right we could spend hours and days talking about it which means that I'll have to have you back on the show sometime soon to delve into that. <laughs> I, I am always open to that, Tina. So getting started here on you know the substance of what we're talking about today, which is some really important stuff. You know, we talked about this earlier about how Paradigm Shift now has been a working podcast for two years. We just celebrated our, our second anniversary and we've spoken to a number of guests over those two years about the importance of mental health both in one's personal life as well as in the workplace and about the negative impact that stress, anxiety, and depression can have. Can you tell our listeners about some of the consequences of letting stress and anxiety and depression go unchecked? Yeah, I, I'm thrilled to, but I'm first going to jump on your name of paradigm shift because I'm going <laughs> I'm, I'm to introduce a new paradigm right here. I'm not going to talk about mental health. What I'm going to talk about is brain health. 
and there is a significant difference. The brain is the actual organ. So I'm going to talk about physiologically. And we now, we used to think the brain was a static thing. What you had is what you had. And if you, if you burn cells, you're done. Not the case. Neuroplasticity is the science behind uh, the ability for us to rewire our brain. So what we have today is not what we can have in a month from now. And then neurogenesis is the brain's ability to grow new neural networks or new cells. Well, that makes sense because I can do it if I cut my skin. I can do it if I break my bone. But we didn't know this because we didn't have a way to look at this, really. It started about 1947, but it was dropped. And the first person, Dr. Marion Diamond out of uh, Berkeley, uh, uh, California University, University of California, mm-hmm. Berkeley, in the 60s, I believe 62 to 64, she underwent some experiments to test this. And she found that working with rats, that rats that were in an impoverished environment. Now think about this from a business leader's point of view. If people are working in an impoverished environment with no real positive relationships and the stimuli coming in is very impoverished, the brain shrank in size and in function and they died quicker. Wow. Holy smokes. That's a pretty revolutionary finding, isn't it? Well, let's go further. So if that's what happens in an impoverished environment, you bet. She tests an enriched environment. And for rats, that she put tunnels and, and friends and they had sex and they had food. And, and Well, they had food in both of them, but the food was, was different. And lo and behold, the brain increased in size and in functionality and lifespan. So the rats were happier and lived longer. Well, as a business leader, now take a look at the teams that we're working with and how can we use science to go, wait a minute, I want to have a positive impact on people. I better be thinking about a brain-first approach. And what does a brain-first approach look like? Well, you've, you introduced a minute ago some great topics of anxiety and depression and stress. And so a brain-first approach is just understanding that the foods I eat, can have a positive or a negative impact on the organ? We know that for the liver. We know that for the various parts of our body, but we've never been taught this for our brain. We've never been taught the value of sleep and how it helps us de-stress for the brain. So we, we know about you know going to the gym for our body. We know about eating for our body. I'm not saying everybody does it, but we're aware of it. Very few of us are aware of the impact of what we drink and what we don't drink, what we eat, what we don't eat on neurological function. So I'm talking about how the actual organ is operating. And so what are the impacts of things like stress and anxiety and depression on brain health? There are some of these things that a lot of people, I think, you know, intuitively can figure out, but I'd love to hear from you, especially with the paradigm or framework, as you will, within which you work. What are some of the consequences, either expected or unexpected, that our listeners would and should know about? Well, a lot of people, a lot of business professionals that I've worked with and executives I work with and C-suite people and leaders talk about, why well, I do better under stress. You do better under a certain amount of stress. I'm okay with that. And, and some stress is good for us. But stress is an engineering term. And if you think of a bridge, and the Romans got this with the aqueducts, but a bridge can only withhold so much stress and then it begins to crack and break. It's the same thing 
with the brain. The brain can only only in, uh, encounter so much stress for a cer certain period of time and things begin to fall apart. So the way to, to handle stress is exercise and ox the brain loves oxygen. It loves good fats, it loves good proteins, it loves great vegetables and, and water, but the brain really loves oxygen. And so if you're doing things, you know, working out, for example, is phenomenal for the brain and sleep, it turns out, we all know about the, the lymph system in our body and it cleans our body out, but the glymphatic system, we didn't know about this till just a few years ago. There's something called the glymphatic system or the glymph system in our brain. And it works like a, I don't know, like a power washer. And it takes extra toxins and extra proteins out of our brain while we sleep. And so getting seven to nine hours of sleep has been shown to be optimal for brain health. So if you talk about being in a stressed environment, movement, oxygen, eating, and sleep are wonderful ways to uh, help your brain optimize so that you can function at, a, at your highest level possible. So let's take a look at the intersection for a moment of self-care, brain health, and leadership. I mean, obviously the conversation we're having is important for everybody, not just for the leaders among our audience, but also for folks who are being led and are just trying to look for ways to optimally perform, number one, and also just to maintain their health. Now more than ever, being an effective leader and being an effective professional can be very challenging given the dynamics at play both within organizations as well as within just the business environment generally. Why is it important for business leaders in particular to know about self-care and brain health and not just for those whom they lead, but for themselves as well? Everybody's in a performance business. I don't, I don't care what the industry is. And we get promoted and, and get reward, usually through monetary, but there's other ways. But we do that by performing well and, and growing in our business. And so whether that's a, a, a C-suite leader, an executive, a lawyer, an attorney, and there has, is part, a partner in a big practice or even a small practice, we're based on a performance. Our whole system is based on a performance basis. And so it's about optimally performing. We now know this and it's used in every professional sport league. You know, things like mindfulness, meditation, yoga are all fully adopted across all the four major professional sports in North America because this is about talking about performing to their best. And we all are starting to understand how important it is to focus on brain health and that, how that enhances everything because brain drives behavior. Whether you like that or whether you don't, doesn't matter. Brain drives behavior. And if you want an optimal, and behavior is can be defined as just your choices and your performance and, and do that over time. That's your behavior. So if brain is driving that and you want optimal behavior or performance, well, let's go to what drives it. It's the brain. It's the engine. And so it, it is critical that we talk about brain health and we implement that in a self-care and in a leadership capacity to help others. So how do you tell when as an individual you are perhaps not where you need to be from the perspective of self-care and brain health. I think self-diagnosis can be particularly tricky, number one. And then I'd also like to hear from you from a leadership perspective, what leaders should be looking for, especially among team members and others who may be under 
their their leadership. How do you detect when folks may need some help in this regard? Through behavior. I mean, you, you don't need neurotechnology, which we use some stuff, some fabulous stuff out of a company called Saraset, C-E, and then Reset, saraset.com in Scottsdale, Arizona. But you don't need neurotechnology to see behavior changing. So people coming in late, people missing deadlines, people getting more ill and more sick, the water cooler talk, all of those things that that one would say are, are not positive in a work environment or in a career are a sign that maybe um, somebody is struggling. And, and so I want to just present a couple basics here, Tina, in, in um, neuroscience. You, our nervous system is comprised of the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the break in the brain, emotionally frozen. Think of paralyzed. We know physically they can't get up and do things. Well, parasympathetic is emotionally. I can't get involved. And then the opposite, so that's the break. The opposite is the gas, which is the sympathetic nervous system. And the brain ideally has kind of balance between those two, and we call on them as we need to for under attack. We want to be a little bit more sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And if things are, you know, a little emotionally heavy, we may want to, or, or we're relaxing, we want to be more parasympathetic. We don't need to be in high alert. So these two th- parts of our nervous system should be fluid. That's, that's the plasticity. But oftentimes, because of trauma in our lives or patterns that we've learned, we get stuck. And so we've all, we all know the person who's a little bit always on edge and maybe a little more aggressive than others. And at times, it could be great for a career, at times not so, but that's somebody probably operating in a sympathetic system and dominant system. And the parasympathetic is somebody who just doesn't want to have those conversations and they really don't want to engage in them. And and the other big part of that is the frontal lobe and concentration, memory, focus, attention. And when that begins to wane, especially, you know, as people age a little bit, maybe from alcohol too, that has a negative impact. When that starts to wane, it's a sign that the frontal lobe is not optimal, is not working well. And all this can change. So we can, people say, well, my memory's going. doesn't matter. We can, we can correct that through using some really simple lifestyle or brain-healthy lifestyle tips for people to implement. So you work a lot with a bunch of different types of people on these issues And as as we chatted about before, there are a lot of listeners out there to this program who are lawyers. And lawyers, let's just say, are an interesting bunch. And I feel like I'm able to say that because I am a lawyer and I'm disparaging myself just as much as I may be disparaging others. And that's not what this is about. But, you know, lawyers are an interesting breed, just like a bunch of other professions. Every profession has interesting characteristics and so forth, personality profiles and, and whatnot. So knowing what we know about lawyers and how success is defined within the legal profession, for example, when you're talking to people who are in private practice working for firms, they have to be pretty aggressive in terms of not just delivering great results for their clients, but also in getting business. You know, everybody laments that there's only 24 hours in a day, knowing that being hard driving and you know, headstrong is really in some ways what lawyers get compensated for. And knowing that sleep is not usually high on the list of priorities, particularly among the most successful people in this profession. How do you reconcile the very important work that you're doing and the tutelage 
that you are providing to others? How do you reconcile what seems to be some pretty inconsistent messaging about how you define success versus how you stay healthy and engage in self-care? Love that. Deep question. First of all, I get to have some fun with lawyers because I've got a brother who's an international fraud lawyer, and then I've got another brother who's a politician, very successful. So I'm the only one that keeps the character in, of the, <laughs> in the name of the family at any any high level because we had and and the bar is not set high by my brother. So anyway, very I, funny. I get to have fun in the holidays of teasing them about that. So uh, the question though, we all have deadlines. We got to meet the deadlines, and and I get that, and I understand that the legal profession, but a lot of other professions, sales professions, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of deadlines. And so you've got to, you've got to, you know, I would go into Stephen Covey stuff about uh, also about planning and work on things that are important versus urgent. Uh, The one category that wins out is important and urgent, which really, if we can avoid working in that area, things are going to go a lot smoother. So if we can work more on the important things, less on the urgent, and we can avoid the urgent and important. That's really good, but that that always will crop up in every profession. But again, this is about the engine. And people say, oh, I can, you know, I can, you know, crank away on four or five hours of sleep. And we learn that sometimes through school and and then articling law students will learn that and in and, and even doctors will be overworked into that uh, regime. But long term, you're actually going to negate your optimal performance. And so and the other thing about sleep is once you lose sleep, you cannot regain sleep. So you can't go, you know, three hours, four hours a night all week long and then go, I'm going to power power sleep for 10 or 12 hours on the weekend. You actually don't get to regroup that and regain that. So it's really important that you put some self-care into that and plan it into your day. And so we talk a lot about a routine in the morning, a routine in the evening, getting off technology an hour before you sleep, or if you can't, and oftentimes I'm, I'm still working with families, so I use blue light glasses because blue light from a phone or a computer or a TV actually tricks the brain. And the brain thinks from the blue light that these devices um, give off, the, the brain actually thinks it's sunrise. And so it stops natural melatonin process. By the way, don't take melatonin for a very long time because you're going to trick your brain and it'll stop making melatonin. It's great when you travel, time zones, and things like that. But naturally, if you're doing some things to optimize your brain again, get a high-quality blue light glasses. Put some in your office. Put some at home. And an hour before bed, start to be aware of what's going on in your environment, what you're doing. Be aware of what you're drinking at, you know, in the afternoon, what you're eating, sugary foods, caffeine, alcohol, all impair sleep. So if you want to perform well tomorrow, lay off the, you know, the caffeine, the sugars, and the alcohol. And the hour before you do eventually go to bed, cherish that and make sure that you're helping yourself prepare for sleep. So I would love to just follow that thread through of the, of the glasses. So how would you recommend people use them? Well, I've got some high quality blue light glass. You can get some cheap ones, so be careful with that. And they're kind of stylish, actually. I think I look like nice. <laughs> So uh, at least I do in my own head. Um, and, and so, you know, if, if we're watching a Netflix on a, you know, at, at, on a Saturday night, I will wear them. But if I'm working, you know, last night I was working late and helping families and doing admissions and on the phone. So I just put my blue light glasses on and I put them on at about 830 last night. I was in bed about 10, but it, 
it helps the brain create its natural melatonin process, that sleepy, yawny feeling. And so actually one of the fastest ways to wake up, hold your phone in front of your face. I don't, I don't recommend it, but hold your phone in front of your face for about a minute because it's, the brain believes that it's sunrise. And so that you're, you're actually saying to the brain, hey, stop that, you know, the melatonin process and, and let's, let's get moving here. I don't recommend it, but it has that kind of a dramatic impact on the brain function. Very interesting. So I'm going to go start looking for some, some glasses and I'll, I'll send you a picture of how I look in them and we can compare <laughs> notes. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about yet, and I would just love to get your opinion on, and it's something that I think about often and talk to others about, which is the impact of the aging process on the topic that we're discussing you know, I've been practicing law now for almost 26 years, and I jokingly lament with my peers about how we just can't, that our bodies have changed. And in some ways, I think that from a mental acuity standpoint, I'm better now than I was back when I was in my early 20s when I started practicing. But I would love to get your thoughts about what the impact is of the aging process on the topic we're discussing, particularly brain health. Yeah, it's fantastic. What you have today, age 55, 50 years of age, is not what you have to have next year or in six months. So you, regardless of age, you can, you can have a younger brain. You have to be committed to this. You've got to create a, a, you're committed to a new lifestyle and understand that. And if you are, you can have a younger brain. There are things that damage brain function, alcohol, marijuana, cigarettes, sugar, these things take away from having a younger brain. So, well, I want a younger brain, but I don't want to give this up. Well, here's the reason why people, you know, are, tend to lean towards alcohol. Alcohol slows brain function. So if I'm always ramped up and my brain is always firing at Mach 3 because I got to get stuff done and now I got to sleep, well, I'm, I'm reaching for something to put into my body to slow things down and I get relief. Well, we can do that naturally. It's not as quick as a glass of wine or two glasses of wine, but we can help calm brain function in a natural way and avoid that. And uh, if you if, if you want to see what the effects are, go to the amenclinics.com and you'll see um, uh, there's a button. I don't remember what, what drop down it is, but you'll see images of SPECT imaging. SPECT is photoelectron imaging. You will see brains and, and you'll see the poor functionality of a brain where somebody has drank a lot or smoked a lot, whether that's, uh, and, and vaping is, is I believe going to be one of the worst things in our society. Forget about the, the people that are dying right now. I'm talking about even the people who live, the chemicals in that, uh, seem to be highly toxic to a brain as well. Well, and you know, I would love to just follow that thread about vaping. Um, we're getting a bit close to closing the first segment of our time together. You know, I was actually watching a story on the news yesterday, and, and, and there's just a ton of press on this, particularly over the last several months. Here in Illinois, there's been a lot of discussion about a number of things. We just, um, January 1st, um, the state legalized certain uses of marijuana. So vaping is often discussed in the context of how the laws are evolving here in Illinois with regard to things like marijuana. Why don't you share some additional thoughts that you have about vaping? And, you know, it's interesting because it was seen, you know, as recently as a few months ago as a, quote, safe alternative 
particularly for those people who are smokers. And I'd love to get your thoughts, particularly in your line of work and the work that you do with other people, what you've been seeing with respect to the vaping phenomenon. First of all, that's silly. Think about it. These companies are in business to make a profit and they sell a cigarette. And now they're going to sell you something that's less addictive so you get off it and not spend any money. Let's apply some common sense to that. That doesn't fit. And when that doesn't fit, you've got to examine that a little bit more. And they are incredible. And uh, they did this and started in the late 70s, early 80s. Dr. Victor DeNobo was hired by Philip Morris. And you can look this up online to make a safer cigarette. What they were able to determine is if they added a drug which was already approved by the FDA called acetaldehyde. So uh, nicotine is addictive. You add acetaldehyde and nicotine and light it. It's 800 times more addictive to a brain than nicotine alone. Wow. So, that's quite a statistic. So it's, it's frightening, but that's why people have a hard time years later, decades later, leaving cigarettes and they go back. I think the average is 12 times in, in a lifespan that people try to quit and want to quit. I want people to get this isn't about weak willpower or character or defect. This is about the brain has got a hook in it and it remembers the feeling from the combination of these drugs. And the neuroscientists and behavioral scientists are really smart at being able to do this. And now we see this in food sciences too. They're doing the same thing with fats and sugars and salts in our food system and in um, processed food and fast foods. But specifically with, with vaping, when vaping came out, it was not regulated by the FDA in the United States. And that's a stunning thing. And that's because they classified it as a recreational device. And how long ago was that? Oh, it's only been reclassified by the FDA in the last year, year and okay. a half. So when, they, when these came out, that's how they came to market. And I was at a presentation with the head of the FDA in Washington, and she stood up on stage, and there's all sorts of questions. It was, it was the American Society of Addiction Medicine, which I'm a member of, the largest uh, association of uh, addiction-related and recovery-related doctors and professionals in the United States and Canada. And uh, I was at this ASAM conference, and the head of the FDA stood up and had taken a barrage of questions about vaping and basically said, there's nothing I can do. It doesn't fall under our umbrella, which makes no sense. But from a marketing standpoint, what a brilliant thing. Let's make sure the FDA can examine this product. And I also want to say that when I was, uh, when my mother was pregnant with me, and I've seen this actually, she kept the, my mom keeps a lot of stuff, but she kept the notes from the doctor and his, she was struggling with some anxiety uh, with pregnancies. And so the doctor recommended one shot of scotch and smoke as many cigarettes as you want during your pregnancy. Wow. And so <laughs> now we go, are you kidding me? And I think that's where we're going to be uh, when we take a look at these devices. Wow. So Dave, as we wind down our first segment, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners and where can they find you? Yeah, learn to love your brain. That's, that's the message. And when you do, you're going to have a positive impact in your business and your career and, and even that life career balance that we're all looking at. But uh, if you're in a performance-related business, it's about you outperforming somebody else and out-strategizing somebody else. Yes, that comes from hard work and effort, but it also comes from having a better computer on board, and that's your brain. So that's first thing. Learn to love your brain. 
and what can you do to positively impact it. So you can find us at Emergo Recovery. Emergo is a Latin word to emerge or to rise above. And it's E-M-E-R-G-O recovery.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn and it's Dave Kenny with Emergo. Dave, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to the second part of our conversation. You've given us a lot of food for thought. Thanks, Tina. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. I hope that you've enjoyed the first part of our discussion about brain health and leadership with Dave Kenny. We will continue our conversation next week. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.